Welcome everyone. I am your host Prabal Gupta, and you are listening to the Capital Analyst. Today is our tenth episode, and we have a special guest today, uh, Miss Sanjana Ramchandran. Sanjana is a writer, a marketer, and an engineer. She currently works as an independent author and marketing consultant. She graduated in electronics engineering from Bridge Pilani, worked for a couple of years in software development at Oracle and Amazon, and followed it up with an MBA from IIM Calcutta. She has worked at P&G as a senior brand manager for around two years before she moved to her current role. Her articles on business, tech, and culture appear in leading magazines such as the Karma, the Print, Fifty Two Dot In, Rest of the World, the Ken, and Riot magazine. To describe her in her own words, she is a die-hard journalist who is also who also an analyst specialist. Tune in as we talk more about her life, her writings, her future projects, as well as current trends in advertising and marketing. Welcome to the show, Sanjana. How are you doing? Thank you so much, Prabal. I'm very uh, flattered that you took the time to go through my work and introduce me so nicely. Uh, I think it's everybody's dream to have someone who like thinks about what they put out and uh, has questions for it, right? So thank you for the honor. I think looking forward to a nice conversation. Yeah. So uh, let's start with your journey. So as after your engineering from Bits Pilani, you. worked for a couple of years in software then decided to pursue an mba worked as a marketer and then finally decided to make it out on your own as a freelance writer and marketing consultant so what were the inflection points in this journey what was going through your mind as you made these changes and finally ended up where you are right now yeah i think that's a question that uh, i'm grappling with almost every day now as i try to like uh, string together a narrative of why i'm doing what i'm doing how i got to be here and uh, what does this lead to uh so engineering i think uh, i mean it's the most common choice that uh, you know kids in india get into but uh, i remember in 10th um, i was in chennai for a break uh, with my family and uh, when i came back i found out that uh, most of the people i went to school with had already enrolled into what they were going to do in 11th and 12th some of my friends went into uh, you know the arts stream i didn't know anyone who was doing commerce and then most of my friends actually uh, joined uh, iit coaching classes so i told my mom like i mean i think you should be telling me what to do all my friends have already chosen one thing or the other and i need to join something quickly and i spoke to a couple of friends and they told me that i might enjoy uh, you know whatever je coaching involves and uh, i thought about like my i, I was at that time I, i used to read a lot but i also really did enjoy science so i thought why not uh, even though i didn't really understand what is engineering right like you make a car but like you don't really find out what engineering is until you do it um so yeah i mean i was happy to study for you know one year i think it was pretty serious je and stuff but uh, second year it's sort of like when you realize that you're not doing as well as you'd like to your enthusiasm peters out um but i was happy to you know do engineering i had a great time uh, at bits pilani goa actually that was in the goa campus and um, very formative time in my life because bits doesn't have attendance and it sort of allows you to explore intellectually and physically everything that you could possibly be interested in right so i was uh, heavily into drama and um, the literary clubs there uh, we worked on a magazine that that remains one of the things that i look back to as a as most fun time formative time in my life so my time there bits although it was uh, in stem it opened me to the idea that maybe i'm interested in more creative pursuits but at the same time there was a part of me that uh, loved the idea of uh, you know being in science and tech in some ways so i i knew uh, what i studied which is electronics was probably not something that uh, i'd want to get into but uh, coding was was is all the more you know popular as an option now but even back then it had a certain um, allure to it and i was like what if i you know learn coding somehow and get a job in software and what if i turn out to really enjoy that and i did i would say i don't think i explored it uh, entirely uh, i worked at oracle for a year and amazon for about 9 months and um, it was a very like tumultuous time in your adult life right 22 year mm-hmm. everyone around you by then is now hitting the next milestone like some people are going to do cat some people are like uh, getting their jobs maybe moving to startups etc so i gave um, my cat exam on a whim because uh, everyone again <laughs> was doing it and i was like uh, maybe this will be interesting uh, i ended up doing well and i was like this is not and especially when i told my family that they were like this is not something you should just let go of why don't you give it your best shot and i was not uh, although i was not sure that um, 
you know, I was done with tech. I think I felt like I was done with it for now. I was like, you know, my curiosity is probably much lower than what it was at the start. And uh, Amazon was not exactly, I mean, I worked in two teams at Amazon. I'm sure you've heard about the culture, right? So it wasn't always fun. Uh, so I ended up, uh, you know, going full steam ahead into my prep. I'd gotten shortlist from Calcutta, Lucknow, Indore, a mm-hmm. um, bunch of the other IMs. And I was like, if Calcutta works out, I think it's a good, good enough bet. Otherwise, I can continue. And Calcutta, fortunately, did end up working out. Uh, and I think uh, with with uh, my MBA, I was much clearer that I wanted to do marketing, given my uh, aptitude for like, not aptitude, I would say like my inclination for uh, creative pursuits, because marketing is uh, a lot of storytelling and advertising, right? Like at that time, I still had this naive, uh, 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 you know, outsider view that marketing is kind of mostly advertising. So you get there and you like, work on a bunch of ads and you get to decide what you tell a lot of people and you convince them and you you do a great job as a storyteller so I was like that's that's what I want to do um and I was I'm actually in hindsight very glad that I had that uh, natural pull towards something because when you get into um, one of the IIMs or you know, B school in India I think in general uh, the students are uh, you know very geared to believe that they need to do what will make them most successful in the eyes of everyone else. So there's like, Calcutta is known for finance, uh, B is known for academically, you know, uh, very strong background, A is known for say marketing, consulting. I, I don't know what they are anymore actually, but the, there were these associations. So people in C were like very clear about finance or consulting and, and stuff like that. But I, I was glad that I did not get really swayed and then end up doing another thing that I was just doing because everybody else was doing. Um, and yeah, so I mean, marketing worked out well. PNG was a great place to work at. I think uh, everything that I know about what to do on the job comes from there because although theoretically, whatever you study in an MBA is probably still more useful on the job than engineering. Uh, it's only when you actually do things that you realize how something works, right? So um, I, I owe a lot of the way I think professionally to my time at PNG, to the mentors I had there and stuff like that. Um, so I don't know if this answers your question. I think I just went on a very long uh, chronological order of what I did and why I did it. I think, but like, let me know if you have any follow-up. Yeah, no, no, it definitely answers my question. So you talked about how your perception of marketing was based on advertising and how yeah. in reality it turned out to be slightly different. So if you want to talk a little yeah. bit about that, what was your experience at PNG? What oh. did your work entail? Yeah. yeah, so I think a lot of what... Um, People on the outside, when they look at an ad and they're like, I, I want to be someone who is associated with that or, you know, who makes that ad or who says like, this is what the actors should say, or this is what the script should be that that's the work that's done by a creative advertising agency. Uh, advertising agencies work with marketing teams in marketing or people in marketing roles to to basically what happens is uh, somebody who is a marketing manager will say that, uh, you know, he has a whole view of how much to sell basically, right? Like uh, the marketer's job could be like, uh, you know, PL management, like profit and like make certain profits, achieve certain growth targets. Uh, and this is true at a startup as well. You have growth marketing, many streams of marketing, but very broadly at the highest level, it's someone who's in charge for driving business uh, revenue, profit, et cetera. So he will have like a whole view of, you know, maybe I can get profits by removing these inefficiencies and uh, the way I distribute my goods to stores or, you know, where I'm spending my money on ads, maybe I can, mm-hmm. so you can optimize various things. So telling stories so that people come to you and take the action that you want them to take is one small part of that whole umbrella of your broad business goal. And so the marketer who has that view of like, this is my business goal, here are all the moving parts to it. And uh, here's what I need to tell the consumer so that he comes to me either to check out my webpage or to buy something on it or something like that. That's the brief that he comes up with for an ad agency who then takes that brief and then writes an ad for it. So when you join, you realize that marketing, I mean, um, there used to be this thing on rule of thumb on uh, B-School campuses that if you have project management experience, which is like managing fests or, you know, you've uh, led a team to you know produce mm-hmm. something, uh, that's good for your marketing CV because that shows that you can manage things. And then you come up when you realize why they look for that, right? Because uh, marketing in the job itself is a lot of like stakeholder management. You need to get things done from different people. You need to convince your bosses or your 
uh, you know, people you work with that this is what you need to do, why you need to do it, and you need to pack it up with your understanding of the consumer, your data analysis, and so on. So marketing is a whole lot more than just advertising. Advertising advertisements, I would say, are like the visible manifestation of a broader marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. Got it. So from marketing to becoming an independent author per se. So how did that switch take place? Like because like in your introduction as as well, you talked about that you had been writing a lot uh, in your college yeah. days. You were also the editor of the literary magazine at Bits Goa. So yeah. were you so confident that I'll be able to make it out as a freelance writer, uh, approach mm -hmm. publications, write for them? So what was going through your mind when you finally took that plunge? Um, I like to think of it as I had no choice uh, because like I, I was very restless uh, I think throughout maybe not so during when I was an engineer working at Amazon and so on because at that time like when I was 22, 23 I just felt like I had a lot of time in life and I was like I can figure it out uh, I always had this like end goal of like I'll, I'll learn management and business and then maybe work at a production company of my own or something in entertainment because mm -hmm. that would combine uh, everything that I that I that I am interested in, right? Like it mm -hmm. combined tech because most things have an element of tech today. It would combine uh, business because like if it's a production company, you need to manage uh, how, how that runs and functions and also the creative element that would be the center of, uh, you know, working in entertainment. So it was always the idea to do that. But like when, uh, when the pandemic came around, I think like, uh, so I'd started writing, I would say my first uh, long-term story was for the caravan in, 2019 mm -hmm. and even then I was like okay I'm only 26 you know I can figure it out I have a lot of time uh, and then the pandemic came about like six to I mean almost a year later a little less than a year later and suddenly I, I, I was in like this crisis where I felt like you know we thought the world was ending I mean it literally was the so-called apocalypse right and um, my, my days at PNG started to feel much longer because I was like you know there's a lot of uh, project management work to do that and less creative on a day-to-day -day basis I mean still, you're still in a creative profession marketing wise but I just felt like I should be doing owning more of the creative stuff right? like the things that drew me to it most in the first place like being the one who tells the story who writes the ad who scripts it out um, so and I'm still as a writer as much I think a confused generalist than a specialist because uh, journalism is one form of writing that I do. But you asked about, you know, what it's like to be a freelance marketer. So I write ads for uh, startups. I mean, that's something mm -hmm. I just started doing the last, uh, I would say, four to six six months. Um, I write scripts uh, in case there's a content piece that someone's putting out videos, etc., or content mm -hmm. itself broadly. I've also, I mean, worked on two screenplays over the pandemic that I don't know if they'll ever see the light of day because um, you need to sort of know people and you need to reach out to them and you need to keep like pushing them to, to give you attention. And I've done a bit of that, but I'm also exhausted by how much mm -hmm. work it takes. So um, the short answer to your question is like, how did I, I yes, I was always writing and towards like, um, and it was always on my plan to like do more of it. I think I got the impetus and the feeling that I cannot put it off any longer during the pandemic because uh, it just really felt like, you know, if I were to die tomorrow, would I be happy doing mm -hmm. what I'm doing? Because there's so many videos about Steve Jobs giving that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's so literally for these months from April, May 2020, March 2020 to May 2020, like, you know, that whole summer, I was just mm -hmm. like, you know, I felt like I was le leading a double life where I was like working on a job and trying to figure out how I can, you know, uh, get, you know, to the other things that I wanted to do. So uh, confidence wise, like, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't know whether it would work out or not. I just knew that I had to do my best to see if it would work out and parts of it still haven't worked out, right? Like I said, the, there are some projects that I, I haven't been able to uh, give the legs to. I've just, you know, you think of it as like a baby that you're giving birth to. They're just like embryonic right now and they haven't, you know, been able to, get up, walk, learn to talk and stuff like that. But some other things have been, I think, more um, successful in that sense that, I mean, yeah, it uh, becomes easier to approach publications if you've, you know, got one or two under your belt and mm -hmm. then, you know, yeah. So it's, it's that that's how it's been, yeah. Sure. So talking about the early days when you made this switch. So I think 2019 was the time when you started working with the editorial management team at the Karwa. I think that was the first time you actually started writing for a publication. And I think yeah. in, once the pandemic started, you approached uh, the Ken, which is a, again a newsletter-based publication, and you started writing for them. 
for a couple of months so how was how has this experience shaped your writing style like because this is a new this was something new for you as well writing for a newsletter maybe they are looking for something to put out daily so what were your experience working with these two publications so uh, they are both very different so the caravan is um uh politics uh culture um mostly long form writing and uh the intent uh with that summer in 2019 as i said right like i had this uh, view that i wanted to work in a creative industry and mostly that would be entertainment so at that time i was debating between an internship at a company like pocket aces which makes a lot of um relatable young adult content and uh the caravan i and i'd also imply uh, applied to ogilvy in hong kong i think but mm-hmm. they never got back to me so um it was between the caravan and pocket aces and the caravan materialized a lot faster and i was like i i like this enough i care about it enough to abandon the other idea and i think it was great for me because uh it was great for me and i hope for the uh, aug as well because i mean when i got into the caravan there was a lot of uh, things that i could look at from my internship at png and just general marketing thinking of like how as a business things could be better and uh, uh i was happened to be in the right place at the right time and be the right person for the story that i wrote then because it was kind of business oriented it was like a um analysis of you know rajat gupta's uh media narrative versus what he what actually happened so i mean uh i found that i was able to like analyze and string together a narrative in a way that was really fulfilling <laughs> is the shortest way to do it okay. so i i i knew that like long form writing the essays that i wrote in school and like mm-hmm. in college that was something i aspired to writing at the ken and marketing at the ken were both very different um i mostly wrote for the newsletter as you observed mm-hmm. rightly and uh, at the ken i sort of learned this thing that i i kind of still do apply whenever i write outside of it was to um for a newsletter especially like what they're looking for is some short uh take on something that's happening and was a daily newsletter right so very t- relevance uh, and timeliness was very important and so was uh since it was not just like okay this happened um uh, it was more like this happened and here's what you can think about it that's not something that many people are saying that mm-hmm. the formula of looking for something that's being talked about that's going viral and being able to generate a take on it that's slightly different uh say with my this the um cred ad that came out like everybody was talking about it but we mm-hmm. we said something slightly different and um bunch of uh takes like that then that I applied later in my personal writing especially since they were shorter between like uh 1000 to 1500 words it really makes you like pay attention to the world around you and start thinking okay like why did this happen and what can i say about it that's not being said already right and to do that in a short span of time was like really valuable to learn so they were vastly different experiences as both a writer and a marketer at both these organizations got it and i think now that you are working as an independent writer i think you in your writings i saw this that you also do a lot of topical takes on current issues as well as you write uh long form essays on things that interest you mainly around politics caste religion how marketing influences mm-hmm. all of these things so i wanted to understand that as a writer like is there a dichotomy going in your mind of writing for the audience and writing for yourself do you try to balance these two actively or do you just go by what is what comes naturally to you no all the time like i i feel like i'm in some kind of constant identity crisis where like i i look at something and i'm like is this something that i want to write or is this something that i think people will want to read and therefore mm-hmm. uh is coming to me or like and then there are these phases where i think that there are all these things that i want to say that i don't think anybody is going to care about mm-hmm. so then should i even put it out so i think and i don't think it's just me as like a writer and a marketer who who has this tussle right i think um, bo burnham has a special called um make happy or i think maybe that's a song in the special i think I, i'm going to have to come back to the name but mm-hmm. bo burnham is this comedian who uh he did this special i think in 2016 17 where uh the ending of the specialist comedic specialist him basically breaking down of sorts in front of the audience he plays the piano he has all these rants about you know the relevance of a white man performing comedy because the white male in america is the most powerful mm-hmm. uh you know social segment anyway so like what do i even have to say he's kind of very self deprecating and so on and then towards the end of that segment uh he's like uh it it you know so he talks about how it kills him to be a performer who 
wants to make the audience happy but also wants to make himself happy and like it's i think that really spoke to me because i don't know uh you know whether that perfect intersection is always easy to find but you always want to find that intersection where it's as much you as it is uh you know appealing for the audience because i don't think it's very satisfying to just go on rambling about what's in your head mm-hmm. and you know that's not interesting to anyone like that's not the reading that shaped my life and made it uh, great you know like everything that i've read all the content that i've consumed that saved my life in you know mm-hmm. different difficult points really influenced me if they hadn't given a fuck about the audience i don't think mm-hmm. i would have really enjoyed it at the same time i know that they were really focused on being themselves uh, they never shied away from being strange or weird uh, it was it's always an intersection and i think uh, as a writer i'm inclined to feel like i need to do this for myself so i mean firstly if i don't feel happy then i don't think i should be doing it at all so i think there is this element that i want to put like what i want to say first and then i try to shape it as like okay how is this maybe relevant to something that people are thinking about or uh, maybe are in angles that they would care about or like you know largely socially relevant but uh, i am trying to do more work that that even if it's not very useful i just put out there anyway because mm-hmm. why the hell not so that's kind of where i am on the setting it's like very constant uh desire to please others and also please yourself yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh talking about your writing style so is there any kind of schedule you follow like you write try to write daily or any note making process you follow to jot down your thoughts or are you working on multiple themes at a one point of time how do you go about okay. any of these things you write so i think you asked uh three sub parts to your how do you write things so the first mm-hmm. one is uh, do i have a routine very sadly um no i try to stick to one but most of the times i find that the thing that finally ends up getting published is published because of some urgency to it like <laughs> because okay. uh I, i try to write every week or every two weeks you know i'm working on some pieces or something but i will throw that away when i feel like something more uh, like in october i felt this especially because on 7th of october uh, 2020 i was leaving for a 10 day retreat uh, called the vipassana uh session mm-hmm. right so uh in the lead up to 7th october i was like i'm not going to have access to the internet my phone all you mm-hmm. know books whatever like people whatever it is that keeps you know gives life meaning i'm not going to have that for 10 days so i need to like really put out a, as much as i want to before 7th because i could feel this like angst building up building up so um before 7th i had this, like flurry of productivity i would say and third i i stopped you know all the things that i've been working on for a long time and i just wrote something over two to three days and i think that's okay because if you're putting in the work but some output is coming out somehow it's fine you know i don't really want to uh, have too many rules because that just makes it too hard to do a job because when you become perfectionist taken you get upset that you're not sticking to mm-hmm. the routine when the routine is not the point it's just self expression <laughs> so yes. short answer is i try to have a routine but i'm also open to uh not sticking to it which is just uh making my life very easier i realize as i say it right now so, uh your second question was about note taking um yeah i i think i used to use google keep a lot um for many years i would just like um store snippets of what what i liked reading on google keep tag it under the labels that you know it fit in like you know quotes or uh interesting articles or say mm-hmm. some business concept or something like that uh more recently i would say since 2020 i've been using notion a lot like it's just made me i think a lot more productive mm-hmm. like my blog is based out of notion right so i mean it's really brought out the more spontaneous side of me as a person and as a writer which i'm very grateful for because with earlier content management systems like wordpress and mm-hmm. uh whatever like wix etc like you you make a website you write your content somewhere else and then like you copy paste it into the website mm-hmm. and then you format it and i used to like lose my shit in in mm-hmm. that time because i like i don't really care this is like sapping the joy out of me and it's not fun and i can't it's not like i can also write in these platforms because they're very distracting but notion is like it's seamless because i i can write in it and i can also publish from it and it's got like very minimalistic editing tools so i don't sit all day and like play with fonts and colors mm-hmm. etc but it's also got enough for me to feel like okay this is customized this is me so notion has been a game changer in terms of like publishing and thinking and also note taking uh, more recently i discovered you know how to use their tables and databases etc so mm-hmm. when i'm like researching something that's a long form piece and 
you know, the references to that usually run, run into like dozens, like tens, 50, you know, hundreds of articles or mm-hmm. points from so there's a database feature in Notion that makes it quite easy to catalog. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, I'm sort of like very, uh, I've learned over time since I've bitten myself into like all of that. It's very easy to like get lost in like, how does this work? And like, I want to mm-hmm. use this tool and see if it's, it is curiosity, right? So uh, when I find something that works, I tend to be loyal to it. So I, I hope I don't move away from Notion for a long time. Got your it. third question was, uh, <laughs> I forgot yeah. your third part. No, it was uh, it was I, around this only. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I am in between many projects. Uh, mm-hmm. I just hope I finished one of them. Like, at yeah. 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 So uh, so to delve deeper into this, I think let's take an example of uh, a recent article you wrote that went really viral for 52.in, uh, which is the namesake. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I'll also drop in the link to these articles in the description for readers uh, to check them out. But to give a broad summary, it was the story of how the name Sanjana came about and uh, from a particular yeah. 1993 advertisement and what role that advertisement and naming a child plays in society at a more broader level. So yeah. first of all, right from the beginning of the idea, like how did this idea came about in your mind and how did you think that we can actually write a long form article about this? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think about the story a lot because uh, I mean, I feel like uh, I haven't written that much, you know, like we're talking about, I talk about my work right now in this conversation, like I'm like, oh, I've produced so much, but I haven't written that much, but mm-hmm. the namesake so is especially special to me because uh, I actually don't know when the idea for this story germinated, right? It's been many years because when I, I, I when I, like, when I heard from my mom, uh, how I was named, it took a lot of time to figure out how I was named because first she was just like, you're named after uh, Hanuman's wife, Anjana. I was like, that's not Sanjana. My name is <laughs> okay, so that's not even a real answer. So she was, so I was like, okay, what does Anjana mean? And then she'd say something like, you know, I, I don't know, she had some meaning like God's wife and all of that. So then I asked my dad, like, okay, how was I named? And he, he mentioned the ad, which is like very straightforward, right? So mm-hmm. then I asked my mom, she's like, oh yeah, you're named after the ad. I don't know why I said Anjana. <laughs> uh, so I, I thought it was very, uh, I didn't know anybody else who was named after an ad. And so at that time, when I first went, I just remember it as like, oh, something cool to say I was named after an ad. When it became, uh, you know, more interesting to me as like a phenomenon or like when I learned that it might have a more deeper meaning than just something to tell about your parents is uh, I spoke, I have, I had a friend um, whose sister's name was also Sanjana and she, I think is just a year younger than me. And uh, I asked her how she got her name. And she's like, dude, my dad watched this ad with Aishwarya Rai in it. And I was like, dude, that's exactly how... Uh, I was named and I found that very strange uh, at that point because uh, I thought, okay, I mean, you know, I, I thought there had to be something more to it that two people watched an ad and like they were smitten by the name and then they named their daughter after it. And that's when I realized that it, what are there more people like this or even if it's just the two of us, what is the feeling that both our fathers had when they watched mm-hmm. the ad and what made them remember it and name their daughters after it. And then I started my job at PNG and I realized, okay, dude, ads are supposed to do exactly this, right? Like they're supposed to capture uh, somebody's imagination. They're supposed to paint aspiration, which is exactly what Aishwarya did uh, in her character and later on through her life, which is that um, as much as the character was very modern and, you know, she was wearing lipstick, red, wet hair, unafraid to be sexual, modern, just waltzing in, making the guy stop in his tracks at a time when like India... she she was bold and like people remembered her for that and then she also went on to have a very successful public career so um the the way she captured people's imagination as a marketer when i understood that okay dude me being named after an ad is not uh trivial and and Mm -hmm. if if somebody else has uh had the same story that means that this ad has had the desired effect on like the public uh the sample size seems to be two right now how big is that sample so uh, when I first uh, pitched the story, and again, a point to how Notion really helped me uh, in my writing in general is that I, I originally meant for this to be a blog post on my own blog where like, I wanted to write, I was named after a girl in, in a TV ad. But uh, then I, you know, I'd been reading 52's work and I remember that I knew one other person. So what if I pitched a story of Sanjana's named after the ad and mm-hmm. 52 was a great, uh, I really admired their work. So I really wanted to have my name there. Uh, I pitched it to them and they were the ones who pushed me to like find out all the other Sanjanas who uh, uh, who might have been named after the ad to go after mm-hmm. data. Uh, 
to also like some of the angles about aspiration and how it affects society uh, mm-hmm. you know I, i knew i wanted to talk about that and how how even like the decision to name like i think our lives are about social status right like i think our lives are a constant uh, but i think that's all we think about we're very social uh, mm-hmm. beings and so even a simple decision or one word like name uh, encapsulating all the ways in which we think about aspiration was was something that i wanted to go in depth upon and the team you know really made sure that we get all of the angles that we should like gender nature caste religion uh everything the full analysis right so uh it makes me very happy when i look back at that story because i think it's something that i knew to notice about my life and then you know over the years the person mm-hmm. i became helped me write so i mean and you know a lot of people would still say i think that you've done many different things you've been an engineer a marketer and a writer mm-hmm. so uh i think that they've all made me a better writer because i don't think i would be able to analyze the world as well as i i would like to think i'm able to now without being you know exactly the things that i was so i mean i think i just have to justify it like that anyway <laughs> yeah yeah no i think that shows in your work and i think it's a great article and i would recommend the listeners at least to check it out from the description <laughs> so uh, uh we'll we'll talk about the advertising aspect that you mentioned about but one another thing that i particularly found interesting about that article was how you reached out to people uh like astrologers and baby namers and there was a study about names in the delhi electoral roll and how popular was the name sanjana so i want to understand like how how did you think of reaching out to these people how did you approach them were they open to sharing their thoughts about this process with you sure so um uh the shortest i mean the one word answer to your question is research like uh, mm-hmm. how how do you know whom to reach out to and uh, who, who would be sources for the mm-hmm. stories that like like i said when you when you set out to write say a long form essay mm-hmm. it's good to have uh, some amount of pre work done into it say even at, even at the pitching stage um i've learned by making the mistake that it's you can't just be like i want to write an article about this in one sentence you need to sort of uh, in your, your pitch demonstrate what the broad narrative arc is where the story goes from a to b to however where it ends and why you are best place to write it and why right now is the best time to tell the story mm-hmm. so these are some common questions i think that a pitch should answer so uh at the stage at which you are talking about how did i get uh, say data from delhi voter rolls or get astrologers and being in astronomy i i knew what the arc would be right which is that there was this ad that uh, indian parents named their kids after and that was because of some idea of you know the person they wanted to be and how does the person we want to be differ based on our existing place in society already and i think as an indian uh, astrology is a part of our lives uh, <laughs> like um, my family also uh, my dad used to talk about astrology at home uh, he believes that there are versions of it that are accurate and we've had this discussion also right like um you know is astrology fantastic and crazy or is there actually some legitimacy to it and i and i like his answer to that which is that um as with even founders and ceos you hear this difference right there are analytical founders like jeff bezos who mm-hmm. will look at everything all possibilities and you know with no intuition just through analysis arrive at what to do unlike steve jobs who was very intuitive uh, you know who just knew what to do from his gut and followed that so he mm-hmm. presented that for astrologers saying that there are a lot of astrologers who you know say that they can calculate using this and that and tell you what to do and he said he said that he tends to find that there are more frauds in this category because it's easier mm-hmm. to say that I'm looking at all of these things and appear to have a case versus some people he's met in his life who just had like very intuitive uh, ways of like you know you just look at them their eyes are shining and they tell you okay this is what's going to happen mm-hmm. so I was like that's an interesting way to look at it and I knew that like we consult astrologers for everything I, by we i mean indians broadly like i think astrology is a segment that even in terms of startups and businesses is booming right now especially during the pandemic because people are more anxious they're looking for um, comfort and solace as to what's mm-hmm. going to happen tomorrow so i knew that astrologers would have some something to do with baby names and i mean it's not it's not rocket science they did mm-hmm. uh, and so i i looked up astrologers baby naming consultants a bunch of results came up spoke to a few of them they're most interesting anecdotes and you know you interview people you transcribe them mm-hmm. uh how i write a story is that i i like to have all the material that's 
relevant to this, you know, broad thing I want to say in one place. And then I'm sitting and looking at it, trying to see which dots to connect in what order. And that's, and in many ways, writing is similar to programming in that sense, but maybe that's a different uh, discussion. So yeah, that's how I reached out to these people and got them to, and here my interview, interviewing experience with marketing actually really helped me. Uh, another point to people who think that there's very disparate fields and how did you switch is that uh, I've probably done like hundreds of consumer interviews through my uh, marketing now, like internship, um, internships and caravan and my time at PNG. Like you need to talk to consumers to know uh, exactly where what you're selling fits in their life to know what comfort or what emotion you generate in them so that you can just relay that back to them and mm-hmm. right like that's basically what it is um, so so I had a lot of experience with talking to people and interviewing them for finding out like how they feel about their lives etc so I think that um, I mean principles wise it's it's you need to get the story out of the person you're talking to even in other contexts so that's how it happened got it and one final question about writing so i have seen across your writings that you use twitter a lot uh, as a source of research to get to know what people are talking about what is their take contradictory opinions on things so what is your strategy when you are using twitter because i feel be it with twitter or any other social media platform i mean there's great content but i think that's like 10 percent or like five percent of all the tweets that are sent and like there's 95 percent content which is just the same thing being repeated again trying to keep you hooked on or something that you would enjoy reading, but it's not really worthwhile to anything you would do in life. So how do you balance that out when you are especially looking at research? Um, I think I don't have a very clear or you know, predefined mm-hmm. strategy that every time I use Twitter for an article, I'm going to use it the same way. Mm-hmm. Twitter's for, I mean, one, one caveat to notice that Twitter is relevant for the story that it's relevant to or like circles that you're writing about, right? Like, I don't think it's, uh, good to think of Twitter as, for example, if you're writing about, uh, I don't know, BJP or the elections or something, there's so much uh, misinformation and generated content that you mm-hmm. cannot use uh, those as very accurate barometers for uh, what's really happening. But in some cases, it's, it's uh, e- even outside of that, like when you're saying that uh, this is what some people are saying or this is what some other people are saying, you do say it as, okay, this is what one Twitter user had to say. So people know that it's a tweet, right? So I mean, it's not like presented as anything but that. So that that's important to keep in mind. And so a tweet is just like one, one fraction of reality, but it is what it is also. Um, so I don't have a definite strategy as such, uh, how to tell apart the content that is uh, legitimate versus not. I mean, I think obvious misinformation uh, is, is perhaps easy to tell versus, um, you know, two people who are who have both typed their things well, but I think both are then just fair game and like what people say is what people say. So mm-hmm. uh, you cannot call it like, I don't know if it's shit posting or just an opinion. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, when do you think, like, when do you think like this amount of research is enough? Like to put this in perspective, like you recently uh, wrote an article on FLOC, which is how Google tracks uh, data about their users and uh, yeah. uh, how, so essentially like I went through that article, it's a fascinating article, but to to basically come up with that article, you have to go through the comic they have published, even the papers they have written about FLOC, yeah. the circular diagram. I think like being from an engineer background obviously helps, but like when do you know that this much research is enough research? Because I think there's no end to how much you can read or research about something. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you, you have to, um, there's always some level of like, um, I think when you're in the process of researching, you're always a little uh, anxious to make sure that, uh, you know, I'm not leaving anything out, but mm-hmm. it's uh, not that hard to define. Um, there are a couple of ways to define like when to stop, right? One is that when you have no more whys to ask, like, so with, with each, um, each thing that you hit that explains a level above, like, so you're stating, say, X, Y, Z, Y, X, Y, Z, you go to another level, ABC is Y, X, Y, Z, and then you go to ABC, Y, ABC, okay, then you say, like, whatever, G, H, I, G, H, I is Y, ABC, and then when when you, like, you you get to a level where, like, this is obvious, and this doesn't need uh, explaining, or this is agreed upon, or this is established in the context of the thing that I'm writing about, 
is is a place that you can say is like okay here is where the base starts and here is where i can build up further layers of uh, argument on top of that or argument or inference or whatever the second thing is uh, uh, to to know like what what the uh, framework or what the structure of your story is right like for example especially with namesakes uh, as a good example to talk about it, that that piece was about 8000 words long at its longest draft and it's about half of that right now uh so at that point it's important to go back to like what was it that i set out with when i wanted to tell the story and to then cull it in in the shape of that mm-hmm. so um from going from the 8000 word to the 4000 word i think all of the extra parts were things about like my own digressions about how i came into this realization and mm-hmm. a lot of material about ads in the 90s in general that you don't see in the final piece mm-hmm. uh and and that's 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 how you know so maybe you don't know how much research is enough uh when you're doing the research you just get as much as you can to, to tell the story that you have in your mind mm-hmm. and then you go back to that idea of the story again and again you see that okay actually this is not really that core to the central narrative that i'm painting mm-hmm. and you and you cut it off so it's a bit of like one one is like you you need to know how you would define stopping and one is also like maybe that's ambiguous for certain cases so you go and you get it and then you call it till till it fits the requirements the brief uh to speak got it got it. Uh, so let's talk about advertising now since uh, this mm-hmm. is something that you have written about even worked in this space for quite some time so i'll talk about what is my perspective on advertising when i looked at it so yeah. i i used to have this notion that like ads are only a tool to talk to people about that this is my product and this is how i it can help you in your life and mm-hmm. maybe this is why we are the best out of all the competing products but mm-hmm. i think broadly the ads that i see on online or television right now can broadly club into three categories like one is mm-hmm. maybe they're trying to be funny and trying to crack a joke or do something like that second maybe they're trying to address some social issue which may or may not be relevant to what they are actually doing but trying to highlight some of the social inequalities or issues that are uh, in news right now and third is mm-hmm. i think they're just playing up on the brand ambassador there's a famous celebrity who's just selling that product without really talking about that product or how is it even useful so i want to know your perspective on because at the starting of the podcast we also talked about how advertisements can also be aspirational like it does not only yeah. have to be a product it can set aspirations in a society so what is your view on advertising is it still relevant today is it broken is it still an effective means of communication got it um i think you asked two big questions and one of them has sub questions so i'll just take the first one which is that um what are ads and like how can you break them down mm-hmm. is i mean you seem to have come up with certain categories which i would say are like yeah very pertinent ways of uh, observing how ads do what they do um either through humor or through talking about a cause or through paying up a celebrity um but just so you're talking about categories of how ads do what they do but to take a step back i think like what ads are i, I mean i think you know to your question of is this are they broken or a relevant form of communication today i think uh, varun dugi has had this uh, podcast called advertising is dead for uh, since i think 2014 i don't think it's been years since uh, you know people have been say, since we're in an environment that's so saturated very consumerist uh, world that we live in uh, ads all the time wherever we look there's an ad <laughs> so um, but we and we keep saying is advertising dead i i don't think so i don't think it will ever be dead because i think we will be in a capitalistic setup for the foreseeable future i don't think that we're suddenly going to become like okay you know we should not uh, get people to buy things and as 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 long as you're buying things i think there will be ads and mm-hmm. i think ads will be relevant despite of all our saturation with them is because um there's still the, i mean what drew me to ads i think uh, the articulation that i'm able to uh arrive at today to explain my fascination with them for a while is that they're a very powerful and efficient form of communication an ad is usually 30 to max 1 one minute long but there are so many things that they have to achieve and being on the other side making an ad is that we realize all of that right like they they need to firstly catch your attention uh you know so many ads you need to watch an ad they need to connect to you emotionally then they need to convince you to either remember something or take action so i mean there's so much that 
that piece of communication has to achieve that there's a lot of thought uh, and you know intelligence and creativity that i think goes into making a good ad um so no i and i so i don't think that they're going anywhere i think that we have ads and we keep having debates about whether ads are dead uh, but i think they'll just be there maybe that's a good idea for an ad also or this ad is dead but anyway <laughs> uh so that 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 should answer like one one part mm-hmm. of your question but coming to like uh what kinds of ads there are i mean this is something that i learned i think in my first week at png i had like this exact same question where mm-hmm. we were debating between uh putting out this ad that was about uh the product like it's uh, you know what is the problem here's this how this product technically helps you solve it like you know like if you have talcum powder then say the problem is rough skin and then mm-hmm. talcum powder smooth skin so like very uh, functional ad mm-hmm. and then you have your emotional ads that may or may not talk about you know directly the products functional use but emotionally the kind of benefits that you would get from uh, you know being associated with that brand and you would see a lot of um, you know areas share the load is about mm-hmm. kind of it's in like progressive uh, households where women have to split the It, it's a, it's a little bit about the function of ear but mostly it's about this emotion of what it means to be a woman in the household so that's one categorization of types of ads um i think uh everything else about how ads achieve what they do in either of these two categories uh there will be many types right so hyperbole or exaggeration is is a very good way of like connecting emotionally to someone like being funny humorous uh social causes uh if can if, if a brand believes that consumers uh, care about something then that's just their way of connecting with them so it could be either i think mostly this falls into the second category of like kind of emotional ads social causes you know, being associated with the brand for more than this its functional uses um celebrities for credibility and so on right so there are many ways that brands achieve what they do but i think broadly they'll fall into like more uh technical benefits or like more of the intangible emotional benefits of being mm-hmm. with the brand and i think both of them so the mm-hmm. aim of like just using the brand right like bias so uh since now so you talk about this so is there also an element of wokeness that we talk about that should brands be woke and should consumers be woke in the first place and should bank should brands recognize that their consumers are woke and address them and also what what exactly does this word woke mean because I I personally don't have a very clear understanding of this word, and I think thanks to social media, a lot of good words really gain a lot of bad publicity very fast. So I think mm-hmm. woke is I think one of those words which started off maybe with a good meaning, but now it is being paraded sarcastically yeah. or probably with the wrong connotation. So what is your take around this? Yeah, I mean, so the definition of woke, I, as I would understand, and I'm sure I've looked it up myself to to know exactly what it means. Yeah. But I think woke means someone who is awake or cares about social mm-hmm. justice uh well you know issues about whether people are being treated well equal equality and so on so i'm sure there's a better definition on but that's what i think woke means uh the question of should consumers be woke and should brands be woke is is something i think about every day because it seems to be i think the most uh not wokeness per se but like uh conversation at a hyper level uh constant conversation is 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 i think the biggest change that i've grappled with uh, as i transitioned into my 20s right because um i did not imagine the world would be so full you know so full <laughs> as a child i just thought like okay you know computers tech but like tech having these social um, ramifications implications is very interesting mm-hmm. um so should should they or shouldn't they i mean i think people should do what they believe and what makes them happy so uh, if consumers and the the connotation of wokeness being sort of pejorative or you know mm-hmm. being used in sarcastic context is when people are woke but not with the intentions of truly helping something but just for mm-hmm. gaining social currency right so uh, and i mean if that's what you want to do then okay i mean i guess i don't really have a lot of opinions on what whether people do is good or bad because uh, i think we're all hypocrites at the end of the day mm-hmm. <laughs> so um like yeah should consumers be woke if you so desire and should brands be woke uh yeah if that's what you think is going to get people to connect with you and uh you know uh 
further your cause with them, then sure. But I think the criticism that's typically implied, you know, thrown at brands when they try to be woke is that you're just doing this for wokeness, much like perhaps the consumer himself or herself, but or themselves. But uh, for brands, I think the responsibility is a bit higher than say an individual who is hypothetically being woke just for the sake of it is, is because they have or they I mean they have the resources to truly make a difference right so don't just talk about something without actually doing something that helps so I think there are a lot of um, brands that do purpose-driven campaigns is, is the better word for it than mm-hmm. woke campaigns like when, when you talk about a social cause and you uh, align yourself to the purpose of making something that's not right with society better mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's helpful to not just talk about it uh, but also like back it up with I don't know CSR or um, many many initiatives right like Life Boys campaign mm-hmm. they, they distributed a lot of like even uh, there's so so many brands like most of PNG's brands when they do these purpose driven campaigns also have like an initiative on top of which uh, they they talk about it mm-hmm. the criticism that's leveled to this kind of uh, purpose driven advertising and brand building is that oh where well, you're just doing this because you want. Uh, social currency and you want attention mm-hmm. and I'm like yeah obviously their brands their purpose is not to be activists and change society while being frugal and living on the bare minimum their mm-hmm. primary purpose is profit their secondary purpose is helping society in a way that uh, connects with people right so I mean even if their objective is is to benefit themselves as long as they're doing what they can do in their framework uh, and in a meaningful way I think it's all right to talk about social causes because it's, if it's generally what people care about, then you cannot um, mm-hmm. blame a brand for wanting to connect with them on that premise. I think it's mm-hmm. more more often than not badly done, however. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of the examples that I mentioned, like the Lifeboy uh, campaigns and uh, PNG's campaigns in general, um, Dabur, I, was it Dabur Femme who had that... Um, you know, uh, LGBTQIA ad campaign about two women celebrating Karvachot. And mm-hmm. uh, most of them, I don't think, display any sort of understanding about the problem that people have an issue with and what they would like to be better. I think they just uh, talk about something because they think people are talking about it, and which is why they go wrong. And therefore, the criticism of being woke just for the sake of being woke is mm-hmm. So, so that's my whole take on this whole thing. Is that got it? Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So, uh, let's also talk about some of the uh, projects we have worked on as an independent marketing consultant. So, just to help our listeners understand, what are these kind of projects? What do the deliverables look like? What is it that you bring to the table? And is there some metric by which these brands or you measure that how effective these campaigns have been? Maybe if you can give sure. us some decent example you have worked on, I think that would be great. Sure. So, I think I've been doing. Um, marketing consulting work for about I would say six six months or so mm-hmm. uh, most of it has been with um, a company called Atlin and uh, I write ads for them I used to be doing a lot of the execution part of campaigns itself where like uh, say say I mean they have like a launch or something then uh, you know coordinate with the partners set up the event uh, make sure it goes live properly communicate basically your typical marketing job uh, I think more uh, I'm more and more I'm interested in seeing what it's like to be, uh, you know, the, the core creative part of uh, what drew me to marketing at first, right? Like writing the ads, scripting a film. Uh, I was doing that also for Ashton, but I think I'm going to be doing more of that for more brands now, uh, for including another one called Stuart. So projects that uh, depend on like the brief or what, what marketing problem someone is trying to solve right now. Mm-hmm. Timelines also kind of depend on that. How the work is measured is, say it's like a campaign launch or something. So how many views does it get? Like your typical metrics, how many people mm-hmm. engage with it? Uh, if you spent money on it, so what were the returns like? Uh, general like cohesiveness in terms of working efficiency, things like that. So yeah, I mean, personally, I think I'm, I'm glad for this period of exploration because it was like always the thing, right? Like uh, this is what it's like to be a, you know, the, the one on the marketing side, project managing, mm-hmm. telling people how to make the ads, etc. cetera. Uh, it's, it's good to be slightly transitioning towards the other side, just to see what it's like in this side of the world. Because I, I mm-hmm. really think that, I mean, uh, I don't know if this is still true, mm-hmm. but there used to be this, I used to have this feeling a lot, a lot more. I used to have this perception mm-hmm. that people believe you're, you know, by the time you're 28, 
you should be like sorted and you should be in the job that you will be in forever mm-hmm. uh i i feel that perception less maybe because right now the pandemic is a time of great uh disruption and flux and uh, a lot of new ways of being uh and making money i have opened up which is very like personally i find that very invigorating and exciting uh and i i don't hope to figure it out anytime soon because like these things take time right like to to truly understand uh how something works you need to do it for a while and uh you need to see how you feel in those points and then you need to like coherently determine from there what you want to do so i i don't mm-hmm. know maybe exactly what's next but i'm happy to be in this uh you know in between many things right mm-hmm. now got it. got it. uh one another question i had was about cold mailing so yeah. let's say right now that you have written a lot of articles you have a lot of work so you can pitch your work to people to establish your credibility and to take a call on whether they want to work with you or not but I, like yeah. let's say in 2019 when you were approaching the caravan or even when you approach the kid essentially you would yeah. have to pitch yourself as an individual that i am someone who is interested in this who is willing to work on that and sure like your educational background and work experience helps you build some credibility that uh, yeah. you you will be a dedicated employee but at the end of the day it's just a cold pitch so what is your opinion on that how did you go about it do you think they actually work because a lot of people have apprehensions that cold mailing does not usually yield results yeah uh, this is something i've been meaning to mm-hmm. write a blog post or uh, you know social media mm-hmm. a how to or something because it's such a cop like people want to know how to write successful cold emails right mm-hmm. uh, i think more often than not uh, yeah i mean they worked for me my caravan application wasn't a cold email they had like a portal um, on which you could apply mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah it was i i did write them an email and a pitch of mm-hmm. sorts uh the can also i would say uh, took longer than it needed to uh mm-hmm. for for them to like sort of go through things i guess mm-hmm. uh, it takes them like many submissions but mm-hmm. we they did comment on like the emails efficacy because that's what opened the future doors mm-hmm. i think uh, what works me in writing emails is what works me in the rest of my writing which is i try to be writing as myself most of the time i try to write as i would speak i try to be interesting i try to um be funny a little bit if if there is room for it mm-hmm. and mainly i talk about like why uh i am asking for what i'm asking for and why somebody else should care so it's important to answer these questions in any like it's the question that any reader has when they're reading anything right? like why should i be reading this right now Mm-hmm. and then what am i going to get out of it so and and if you can do that skillfully and in a way that's interesting and authentic and representative of you as an individual i think that the amount of information you give away in a cold email is more than just hey i'm interested in this and can you do something for me mm-hmm. um so i think the short your question was like what do i think of cold emailing and how, how did i go about doing it the the summary of it would be i tried to be i tried to answer these questions about why someone should read it and uh, mm-hmm. why they should act on it and uh i did so while being myself uh, trying to be trying to write well being interesting authentic and so on got it and and i think you really should uh, write that post about cold emailing mm-hmm. because uh like i definitely would like to read it because i personally have benefited a lot from cold reading even if i talk about this podcast only so yeah. like i did try to use i am calcutta as a brand to get people excited about coming on the show uh, but yeah. there's only certain leverage that you can get using your college brand name so at the end of the day i think i i also started out uh, reaching out people through cold emails only to approach them on my podcast because i yeah. did not have a single subscriber or a social media following or anything like that so i think they do work like uh, so i think that would be something interesting Uh, to write about and read about. Thank you. Yeah, I'm always uh, very pleased when someone encourages me to write something. This is like okay, maybe I should not just shelve it in my yeah. notes or whatever. So I, yeah. I'll try to take that up. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, one one interesting question I have, like this is something that came up in this discussion, was those ten days you spent in the Vipassana Center. So yeah. that is something I'm uh, interested to know about. Like, what was the experience? What was the objective when you like decided to go over it? And any learning or any takeaways from that course? Um. So I I won't uh, comment on the experience in great depth because it's something that I think uh, I know it's been it's it surprises me that it's been about three to four months since I finished it. But I think the effects and like uh, how it's continuing to shape my understanding of life and myself. Mm-hmm. uh is something i want to come to terms with in a way that i can articulate it without sounding supremely lost and confused because mm-hmm. it was a very disorienting experience in many ways like um 
several things happened and I came out and I went down this rabbit hole of reading about free will and determinism and uh, you know neuroscience and the unconscious mm-hmm. and uh, you just you at some rabbit holes are not healthy like some rabbit holes you'd be like <laughs> I need to stop this research right so um, uh, so yeah I mean short answer how the experience was it was very intense uh, you will experience something and it's different for everyone so I can speak about what mine was there. it was intense mm-hmm. a bit disorienting uh, still trying to learn in a way that I can articulate what what it was for me. Uh, what the, the other two questions that you had about it is something that I can answer back. Like, why did I do it and what did I want from it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think I wanted to, you know, I just generally felt that I could be more prolific, more productive, write more of the things. Like, like, I, like I told you at the beginning of this call that mm-hmm. there, there are some topics that I shy away from putting out because I think that nobody will be interested in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, that's not who I want to be as as a as an artist. <laughs> okay, like writer, marketer. But that's not. I want to just put out whatever comes to me without thinking too much about it. So there were like these. Uh, uh, you know, I think everyone. This is popular. Uh, this is a popular saying in your psychedelic self help uh, spirituality circles that everything you need is within you, right? So I I kind mm-hmm. of felt that uh, introspection or whatever this vipassana thing was. Uh, I'd heard about it from a friend uh, about three to four years before I did it. And she told me, and she came out of it like profusely thankful for my existence. And she called me like her family and stuff. So I was like, yeah, uh, if, if, if it made you feel that way about me, then maybe I will feel that way about, you know, everything else outside in the world. And maybe it'll make me more productive and more prolific, more comfortable in my own skin as an artist and whatnot. Uh, I don't know if it's done that yet because like after Vipassana, there was New Year's and like it was generally like, uh, tune out and like I'm just getting back into a routine and all that which is why mm-hmm. I think that some time needs to pass for, for me to know what it was like as an experiment but I would recommend it to everyone for for a reason even though I don't have the answers to questions like is it really help what has it done for me uh, right I don't have an answer to that yet but I would recommend it to everyone because I think that um, there are some fundamental things that everyone has like by the time you've gone through enough life Mm-hmm. I, even if like I have a friend who's done it when he was 16, 17, I think it really makes you feel what you have inside you, right? Because uh, we f- feeling as a word is very misunderstood because uh, you know we think of emotions and uh, feelings as this very intangible thing that okay, you know they're just like things that I produce and they have no weight and like they can come and go and they do come and go, mm-hmm. but they have a basis in our existence in the sense that feelings are physical um they have like when you when you're hurt you actually are hurt on your skin mm-hmm. like, you know, you feel it somewhere, right? like they're very bodily sensations so to to actually feel what is inside you and to feel is is, is very physical it's very overpowering in some ways and i think it's the closest i've come to a sort of otherworldly experience right? like you think like you know life like you know the fabric mm-hmm. of reality like, i wake up i know how to move and stuff but in, in those in that time, you can experience sensations and uh, a way of reality that's really like mm-hmm. nothing that you've ever seen before. And I just, I'm still fascinated by this whole area. Mm-hmm. That's why I would recommend it. Nothing to lose, and it's very new mm-hmm. and intense. Mm-hmm. Sure, uh, that's that's quite interesting. Uh, so, final question before we call it a wrap. So, uh, you recently became part of the South Asia Speaks class of 2022. And you are working under the mentorship of Sanam Maher to write your own book. So something about this book, what are your aspirations behind it? What is it going to be about? Yeah. um, So as again, I have to thank Notion for for all this because the idea for this book was, uh, I was trying to like, I was working on my blog for a few weeks in like May, April last year. And the first version of the blog that, you see right now was actually the summary of the book that I'm working on. I, I wrote that and I was like, this isn't actually a blog post uh, introduction. This is something that is like, uh, you know, one time coherent read about a certain subject with, you know, specific divisions to it. I think mm-hmm. this is a book. And that's when I realized that actually, you know, I have, uh, I didn't actually realize it. I mean, I've been meaning to, I think, write a book for, I think I've had a book in me for now that I'm working on it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's going to be a collection of essays about India based on my life, uh, because uh, as I told you, right, like in uh, asking this question of uh, who I am, why I am the way I am and how I got here, essentially 
like with the namesakes, you never you, you, you never see something as a phenomenon that's isolated from everything else it's around it by. So uh, I'm sure that things about my life uh, say things about the way we live in our country and in the world mm -hmm. that we are in today. And that's basically what I hope to write about here. Yeah. yeah, got it. Uh, so yeah, one last question now, like this just came to my yeah. mind, like since you are from I'm Calcutta as well. So what role do you think I'm Calcutta played in your life, be it friends, studies, academics, teachers, networking, in your career, in your personal life, do you think it had an important role to play and what are your memories yeah. about that? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I mean, um, when I, I said, like, I, I gave cat uh, without, you know, really expecting anything. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I sort of looked at it as like, a good thing to do to switch from this job that mm -hmm. I wasn't sure was for me. And it was in I am Calcutta, I think there were a lot of times I felt that this was a very weird experience. Uh, and definitely very different from what I experienced at BITS also, where mm -hmm. uh, I could only articulate that once I was in Ankhya, like people from all over India uh, with a lot of um, aspirations about what I'm Calcutta means to them. So definitely broadened my view of um, what it means to be there actually, right? Like mm -hmm. um, I think certain certain parts of uh, the circles I'm in would, would be like, okay, but it, it is also uh, an institution of significance. Uh, very fascinating to time also because all of the things that you think happen in college kind of with I'm Calcutta uh, you know it's very very surprising I don't know you should actually tell me because you're mm -hmm. now studying virtually right mm -hmm. yeah. so that's like but I mean on campus it was very exhilarating a uh, lot of parties a lot of uh, people uh, fun times a um, lot of strange times as well a lot of mm -hmm. uh, pro processes and uh, rituals I would say that that I, I I don't quite know what to do with even now mm -hmm. I'm hoping it will form for some interesting reading uh some sometime in the future but um, mm -hmm. how it's um, affected me personally and professionally uh I I mean yeah I do have friends from there uh, people who get me uh professionally I'm sure like you know brand names uh people were in a very busy world uh heuristics are all that we used to you know tell people apart from each other so mm -hmm. I'm sure the brand name said, like you reached out to me because you yeah. know, we had this in common mm -hmm. so, yes it definitely so. helped me I think uh, it was also I was also the age where I think uh, I was learning how to think better and so to do that uh, in an environment like uh, I'm Calcutta where the degree I would say an MBA degree is very gen right like you have a business finance economics um organizational behavior, a bit of like uh, history, social theory, mm -hmm. I, I love the, the, basically the breadth of the degree. Uh, I think it helped me become a better thinker. Mm -hmm. oh, I, that's great. So uh, I think that it couldn't have been better or that there weren't flaws. There were, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I am grateful mm -hmm. for it. Yeah. 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 I think that's, that's the story with everything in life. So yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I think it, it has been great talking to you, Sanjana. And I particularly like reading your work a lot. And I think the way like you draw from your own life, from the society, as well as what is actually happening out there and connect them through references with literary works, what people are saying, what is your own opinion. I think that's that's something I really look forward to reading. And I'm, I would be looking forward to reading your book as and when it comes out. And I would also recommend the listeners to check out some of your work, whatever interests them. So thanks a lot for taking out time for this episode. And I think this has been useful. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Pravel. It was a great fun chatting with you. And I'm so glad that uh, I could be useful. Uh, I hope we speak again soon. Yeah, uh, thanks a lot. And that's a wrap.